last year, at the end of last year, Donna and I lost a very close friend. She was only 13. She was, she was beautiful. She had beautiful red hair. It was kind of curly. And uh, she was pretty, had pretty eyes. She was smart. She was a lot of fun to be around. So young, only 13. Her name was Penny. She was our dog. <laughs> I'm not crying, I'm laughing. <laughs> but uh, after Penny died, I determined in my heart that I was not going to get another dog. You know, I'm too busy, I have too much on my plate, there's so many things going on. I just don't have the time to raise a dog, you know, to feed it, to walk it, you know, to clean up after it, and all this kind of stuff. So I told Don, honey, we're not getting another dog. So as time went by, uh, I softened a little bit. So I told Donna that, all right, maybe after you have your liver transplant, we'll have a dog. It, it will help with your therapy. And, uh, and I figured I would be safer in five or six more years, so we'll, you know, we'd be fine with it. But uh, a funny thing happened. As I'm watching television, I'm seeing Donna looking at her iPad, and she's looking at puppies every night. <laughs> looking at puppies. You know? And then she'd say, oh, well, look at this one, he's so cute. <laughs> and I would have to uh, give the obligatory response, yes, honey, she's cute. But we're not getting another dog. <laughs> so, uh, but a funny thing happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, Donna, she almost, ex you know, she exclaims, oh, look at this one, you know. And, and she brings the iPad over and says, yeah, it's pretty cute. Pretty cute. So, I mean, the funny thing happened. We went down to Apple Creek to see this dog live and in the flesh, okay? So uh, Donna's holding her and I'm holding her. Her name was Amy, and it was a Bernadoodle, you know, all these doodles. It's such a popular breed, a Bernadoodle. So um, we kind of fell in love with her, and lo and behold, Amy, or her new name will be Cookie, is coming to live with us in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, but the point here is persistence paid off. <laughs> Donna never nagged me. She said, we are getting a dog. Never did that. She just kept looking at the iPad. <laughs> so persistence paid off. Well, this morning, we're going to be continuing our mini-series on prayer. And today, we're going to be looking at the parable of the persistent widow. So turn your Bibles with me. If you don't have one, you'll find a pew Bible in front of you. And you'll see it on page 877. And it's Luke chapter 18, 1 to 8. And I'll begin to read here. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice that she will not beat me down by her continually coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I 
tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. Thanks, Good job. Well, the main point in our sermon this morning is pretty obvious because it comes right from the Lord in verse 1. And it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Well, the first thing we need to ask is who's speaking here? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's his concern? What's his purpose? Well, it's to the effect that his disciples ought always to pray and not lose heart. And in fact, not just the disciples, but we disciples, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. So God's people are praying people. At least we should be. It's our duty to pray. That's why Jesus said they ought to pray. If we don't pray, we sin. If we don't pray, Chances are pretty good we're going to fall into sin. And besides, it's our privilege to pray. We get to pray to the God of the universe, the Creator. What an honor it is to be able to pray to our Father, the Almighty God. And we ought always to pray. Every day requires it. Every day, every hour, every minute. We must pray without ceasing. We must never grow weary of praying. And the Lord presents this parable to his disciples as a direct response to their earlier requests. Number one, teach us how to pray. And number two, increase our faith. So the Lord presents the parable of a widow to increase their faith and to teach them how to pray. So in this parable, the first person the Lord introduces us to is the judge. We like watching Judge Judy. So. <laughs> but anyway, he was a judge in a certain city. He had a reputation in that city, and it was not a good reputation. And that reputation was that he neither feared God nor respected man. And that reputation was well-deserved. This judge even admitted to himself, I neither fear God nor, nor respect man. He had no concern for his conscience or his reputation. He did not stand in awe of the wrath of God against him. He was apathetic toward criticism, disapproval, or contempt of man. He was unmoved by anything outside of himself. He was completely self-centered, a total egotist. Sounds a lot like politicians today. He took no care to do his duty as a judge, either to God or to man. He showed no notion of godliness or honor. And when there is no fear of God, no good can really be expected. Even the Lord himself calls him the unrighteous judge. There was nothing righteous about this man. He was a sinner. He didn't care. He even seemed provident. So this Irreligion. This inhumanity is bad, but it's really bad when it's in a judge who has control over the lives of people. At least a judge should be guided by the principles of religion and justice, the principles of morality, of good versus evil, of right versus wrong. And if not, 
He's in real danger of doing harm with his power. So we have to ask ourselves, well, how on earth did this guy become a judge? The second person that Jesus introduces us to in this parable is the widow. She was from the same city as this judge. And something was going on in her life, something bad. She was involved in a distressing legal case, a lawsuit, causing her a lot of anguish, suffering, and misery. She had an adversary, an enemy, someone who must have really put the screws to her. Back then, in that society, widows were extremely vulnerable. They were poor, they were helpless, they were weak, and they were easy prey for those who would take advantage of them. We're told, we're not told exactly what happened to this widow, but it must have been serious. Today, elderly widows can have the same vulnerability. I found this article, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, just part of it. A federal grand jury returned a 10 count superseding indictment Wednesday afternoon, charging eight individuals in connection with the fraud scheme, primarily targeting widow women over 65 years old. The indictment alleges that approximately two years the defendants defrauded dozens of victims out of more than $6 million, which they laundered to accounts that they controlled. According to the indictment, the defendants and the unnamed co-conspirators used social media and social gaming applications to target widows. The defendants created false identities to befriend potential victims, feigned romantic interests, and alleges that the defendants engaged in a series of transactions that took all their money. There was one lady, 75 years old. This guy contacted her from Germany, said that he was a businessman. He was trying to uh, get this big contract for all this pipe. He sent her pictures of where some warehouse that had pipe in it. He had the scheme going really good. And here, in, within a month's time, she sent this man over $600,000. 10 checks, totaling 275,000. Five wire transfers, totaling 81,000. That was just in one month. So this is a serious thing. Widows are widows can fall prey. And that's why this widow in our parable is, is very upset. Somebody really hurt. So where the widow in our parable this morning clearly has right on her side, but it seems that she didn't receive justice in the legal system. And so she appealed her case personally to the judge day by day. She probably went to his house and picketed it out front. <laughs> Maybe she followed him on the streets. Give me justice against my adversary. Restore what he's taken. Throw him in jail so he can't do it to anybody else or me ever again. She appealed to the judge because he had the power, the authority to set things right. Judges were supposed to be the protectors of widows and orphans. It was a mandate from the Lord in Scripture. And so here we kind of come to the climax of the problem in our parable. The judging court. Verse 4. For a while he refused. He didn't care. He took no notice of her. He had no bribe. She didn't give him a bribe to, to pay attention to her. She didn't even have some man that could stand up for her in court, an advocate. So for a while he refused. But here we learn about the power of importunity. I had to look that up to see what it means. <laughs> Import, and I had to look, see how you pronounce it. 
importunity. Importunity, importunate, okay? Persistent, especially to the point of annoyance or intrusion. Some synonyms, persistent, insistent, tenacious, persevering, dogged, unrelenting, tireless, stubborn, pressing, urgent, demanding, nagging. So it kind of give you an idea what this lady was doing and how this judge was being freaked out. Thus, a persistent widow. So the judge said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she just will leave me alone. The judge can't stand her persistence. She kept bothering him. Give me justice. Give me justice. So finally, he hears her cause and gives her justice. Not because he cared for her. Not because he feared that his reputation would be tarnished if he didn't do justice. And not because it was the right thing to do. But because he knows that she's never going to give up until it's finally done. So he finally did it just to shut her up. She finally got justice. So here's where it all boils down to the main point. Verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? If an unrighteous judge who fears no one is eventually moved by persistent pleading, how much more does a righteous God, moved by compassion, goodness, mercy, and grace, hear the prayers of his saints who pray day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So with this parable, the Lord intends to encourage and exhort his disciples and us, all his disciples, that we should pray with faith and fervency, that we should persevere in prayer, and that we should storm the gates of heaven with importunity. And Jesus assures them that God will avenge his elect. So we ask, well, who are the elect? We are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the elect, the chosen of God. And will not God give justice to his elect? So we need to ask for ourselves, well, what is the ultimate justice for man? 
if we remember, recall that all are sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we sinners receive the justice that we deserve, it would be eternal punishment of God. But thanks be to God for our just Father sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, to pay the punishment for our sin so that we wouldn't have to pay it. So that we could be free from the power of sin and, and the fear of death. So that we could be clean, our sins washed away, white as snow. For he made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So being God's elect, we have a lot of adversaries in this world who fight against us. We meet with a lot of trouble in this world, a lot of opposition. Satan is our great adversary, but fear not. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God will preserve his elect. God will protect us. And God will give justice to us. So what do we have to do to obtain this justice? Well, obviously, number one, come to faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, we have to cry out day and night. We have to be persistent in prayer for justice. We have to pray against our spiritual enemies. We have to pray for strength against temptation. We have to mortify sin in our flesh. We have to wrestle with God like Jacob. We have to cry out to God with earnestness. We must not lose heart. Which is our second main point. And in verse 7, Jesus said, Will he delay long for them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Speedily. What on earth does that word mean? Sometimes it seems like our prayers don't get answered for a long time. Sometimes they're not answered the way we think they should be answered. Sometimes we don't receive the answers when we want them or when we think we need them. It's easy to get discouraged. But Jesus tells us, don't give up. Don't lose heart. The Bible tells us a story about Joseph. If there were ever a man who could have lost heart and given up, it was Joseph. If there was ever a man deserving of justice, it was Joseph. Hated by his brothers, who sold him into slavery and taken down to Egypt, Kidnapped, became a slave to Potiphar, falsely accused of molesting Potiphar's wife, and thrown into a dungeon? Well, the Lord was with Joseph through it all. Joseph always had hope. He had faith. He never gave up. He had to have been a man of prayer, persistent prayer, and ultimately, in God's perfect timing, he was delivered from prison and made second in command in all of Egypt. So through all those years of trials and tribulations, Joseph had come to realize that God meant it all for good. God meant it all for the glory of God. God meant it all for the saving of his family. And God meant it all for the saving of the nation of Israel. Paul is another man who deserved justice, who needed justice. 
Paul was in far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times he received the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day he was adrift in the sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, from robbers, from people, from Gentiles, his own people. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. False brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And yet, through it all, Paul persisted in prayer, day and night. He never gave up, because he knew the Lord would give justice speedily. And the Bible is full of prayer warriors, persistent men and women of faith, some of whom were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others were mocked and flogged and even chained and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All praying persistently and not giving up because they knew the Lord would give justice speedily. So brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. From this parable, we can have assurance that God will have mercy on us. Think about these things. The widow is a stranger to the judge, but God's praying people are his own elect, those he knows, he loves, and he delights in. The widow is just one person, but the praying people of God are many. We come to the Father, Abba Father, Daddy, who bids us to come unto him boldly. The widow came to an unjust judge, but we come to a righteous Father, one who regards his children, who loves his children, especially widows and fatherless. The widow had no friend to speak up for her, no advocate, but we have an advocate with the Father, God's own Son, Jesus Christ, one who ever lives to make intercession for us. The widow had no assurance, no promise that justice would finally come, but we have the promises of God himself, and we are told all we have to do is ask, ask, and it shall be granted unto you. The widow could have access to the judge only at certain times. She had to chase him down. But we can cry out to God day and night, all the time. The widow's persistence was provoking the judge, and she probably feared that it would harden, harden him even further. But our persistence in prayer is so pleasing to God. The prayers of his elect are his delight. He wants us to be persistent. Yet with all these assurances of God, that God will give his justice to his elect, still, it's possible that we get tired of waiting. So how do we not give up? How do we not lose heart? And the key word is faith. Faith. Faith in our loving Father who is just, righteous, good, and full of mercy. Faith in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Faith in God, who works all things together for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Faith in our God who keeps his promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. Now in verse 8, we come to a word that the Lord spoke that made me stop. The word is nevertheless. Nevertheless, in spite of, however, nevertheless. So why does the Lord stop a train here? Why does he say nevertheless? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This really puzzled me. It just did not seem to fit in the context of verses 1 and 7. So I had to go back and get the context in chapter 17. And when I reread chapter 17, it started to make sense. The parable of the persistent widow is really a continuation of the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. And this conversation was regarding the end times when the Lord will return to set up his kingdom. So Jesus is exhorting his disciples to always pray and to not lose heart, especially when the times get really bad, especially in times of severe persecution. So in chapter 17, Jesus said the day of the Lord will be like the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking and marrying. Life went on. Everything was fine. Did the Lord find faith on the earth? No. Noah preached the word of God for a hundred years. Did anyone come to faith in God? Did anyone get saved? There were only eight were deemed righteous out of the entire population of the world. Eight people. And they were the ones who were saved in the ark, and the Lord destroyed all the unrighteous elements. In chapter 17, Jesus said of the day of the Lord, it will be like the days of Lot, when the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. Life went on. Remember when the Lord told Abraham he was going to destroy those wicked cities. And Abraham started bartering with God. Lord, what if there are 50 righteous? Are you going to destroy the cities for 50 righteous? Far be it from God to do that. The Lord said, Are there 50 righteous? I will not destroy God, I'm sorry. What if there are 40? God, I'm sorry. What if there are only 30? God, I'm sorry. What if there are 20? God, I'm sorry for speaking. But one more time, what if there are 10 righteous in these cities? Will you destroy all the wicked and these ten with them? Another word for Lenin is if, if there are ten righteous, I will not destroy the cities. Did the Lord find faith? He went down to one. No. There were only four righteous people in all that wickedness. And so the Lord brought them out before he rained fire and sulfur from heaven to destroy all the wicked. And actually, there are only three. Because the Lord in chapter 17 reminded us, remember Lot's wife? Don't look back. 
So throughout the scriptures, we're warned that the day of the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. Jesus described what those days preceding his return will be like in Matthew 24. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when the Son of Man comes finally, will he find faith on earth? No. At least very little. Back in 17, the Lord explains, one will be taken and the other left. I tell you, he says, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. This is not the rapture of the saints. Those who are taken are taken in judgment. Because the disciples asked, where? Where are they where are taking them? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. They're not taken to paradise. They're taken to judgment. But those who endure to the end will be spared. Like Noah and his family, like Lot. Those who are left are saved. And they will enter the kingdom. Listen to Revelation 6, 9-11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood with those who dwell on the earth? And then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So when the Son of Man comes again to bring justice, he will plead the cause of the persecuted Christians. He will plead the cause of injured saints of all ages, of all the ages. And when he comes to establish his kingdom, will he find faith on earth? No. Or at best, a little. The scriptures tell us that Christ will delay his coming. He's not willing that any should perish. And his delay is going to harden the hearts of the wicked. And the wicked are going to begin to defy it, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Even his own people are going to be, begin to despair. Where's the Lord? They're going to start to give up. And I think they may even start to conclude that he's not coming. The world will grow worse the Lord said, keep on praying. Be persistent in prayer. And never give up. I just want to say to those who have never received the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, if you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you can't remember the time when you confessed your sin, you were repentant of it, and surrendered your life to Christ, 
if you've been procrastinating all these years, waiting for a better time to do it, you're absolutely playing with fire. Because no one is promised today, tomorrow. If you were to die today, justice will be served on you. Because you're going to pay the just penalty for every sin, every evil thought, and every evil word that you've ever spoken. And you will pay it for eternity because justice demands it. But on the other hand, you could let justice be paid by the blood of Jesus Christ, who paid the price for the sins of every believer who would ever believe in him. Jesus, who died on the cross, would pay that price in full. Jesus, who rose again on the third day and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, ready to receive you as his own. Jesus will come again someday to right every wrong. So friend, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Confess your sins. Repent. Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And do it today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in this parable of the persistent widow, the Lord wants to teach us the persistent prayer. And as we've been learning, prayer is hard. Last week, Pastor Steve took us through the Lord's Prayer. We learned prayer is hard. It takes time, it takes focus, it takes energy, it takes heart. The Lord's concerned that we may lose heart, which is easy to do, especially when it seems the answer isn't coming or coming soon enough, especially when the times are tough and they're tough. We're tempted to falter and quit, assuming that God must not be listening or won't give us what we really want. When we lose heart, we give up. Our walk with Christ will seem to fade away. We stop reading the Bible. We stop praying. Stop going to church. It's not a priority. We cut ourselves off from the family of God. We backslide away, probably indicating that we never knew the Lord. These things ought not to be. The Lord warns. If you feel this is happening in your life, Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the Word of God, which is helping us to learn how to pray. We're thankful for Pastor Steve, who is such a good prayer warrior. We're thankful, thankful for the lessons that you teach us through Pastor Steve. We're thankful for the lessons you teach us in your word to pray persistently and to not lose heart. Heavenly Father, make us prayer warriors, all of us. Make us come boldly under the throne of grace. Help us to just latch on to you, to hold you while you hold us. Lift us up, O oh God. Lift our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits, that we would see you in your glory and worship you, that you are worthy. We ask this through the precious name of Jesus.